Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, everybody. Cheryl Atkinson here. Welcome to another edition of Full Measure After Hours. Today, we're going to take a look at what is really behind Chicago's legendary violence and what you haven't heard reported on the news. Also, a brief reading from my new book with the inside story of what's happened to the news. It's called Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism. So here is a little bit of background on this week's cover story on Full Measure. It will be October 11th on Sunday, and the cover story looks at violence in Chicago and a little bit about what's behind it. I've seen stories for years done about all the murders, all the violence, all the crime, all the sad deaths, and a lot of reporters have gone there and counted how many shootings in a weekend. They've spent time in the local emergency rooms reporting on the problems. But I've kind of wondered why Chicago? Why this seemingly unique situation? It's not actually the place with the most murders in the whole country, but there does seem to be a concentration of gang violence that goes on and on without a lot of context when we hear it reported as to what's driving it. Some years ago, I would say probably around the 2011-2012 time period when I was investigative reporting at CBS News. I was covering the Fast and Furious story, breaking news on that secret government operation that allowed thousands of weapons to fall into the hands of Mexican drug cartels. And I developed a lot of sources along the way who told me a lot of different things related to drug running in the United States, the relationship with cartels in Mexico, and so on. And one source that I developed is somebody who used to drive semi-trucks for the cartels, and the semi-trucks would be filled with drugs. And he told me at the time there was a very codified system to move drugs across the U.S. border, so they would know which corrupt Border Patrol agents were on duty at certain times and which gates they were working or which booths they were working, and they would plan to pass the drugs through those gates at certain times. They would even, sometimes he said, send a decoy vehicle first to distract them and know that some drugs would be found in this decoy vehicle ahead of time, but then the dogs and everybody would be busy, the canine units, with this find, while then the real load full of drugs came through and did not get the same attention and could often get through without being caught. And he told me there were very formal drug pipelines that the cartels managed from Mexico into Texas and then to certain cities and from Mexico into Arizona and straight up to Chicago, where this became a major, major distribution point for Mexican drugs. 
He offered to help arrange to take me along on one of these trips, showing me the pipeline that ends in Chicago, where then all of the gangs have pieces of the action and fight over territory and generate this great violence that we hear about. But it turns out I couldn't put him on camera or even record any of it if I went along with him because he became a federal source and couldn't take the chance that he would no longer be used because that was now how he was making his living since he was no longer running drugs. But it really stuck in my head since that time that This is a lot of what's driving the gang violence in Chicago, the Mexican drug cartels, the illegal drug trafficking going on south of the border into the United States. And this is why there have been some very high-profile trials in Chicago that haven't gotten as much national attention as you might think they would. They've been covered a lot in Chicago, and I covered, I did a couple of stories on these when I was at CBS News. But drug runners and high-ranking people from the Sinaloa drug cartel have been arrested and tried in Chicago. This is the connection because this is apparently the end of a huge pipeline. So I asked our reporter, Scott Thuman, who's terrific, and our terrific investigative producer, David Bernkoff, to go to Chicago and look around and think about this drug connection with Mexico as they cover a story about the gang violence in Chicago and what's happening today, especially in light of the fact that there was all this violence that started over the summer, rioting, calls to defund the police, and so on. Sunday on Full Measure, that's October 11th, the result of their story will be our cover story, and they dug up a lot of interesting information and facts. There are police who remember they have the institutional memory in Chicago to know of a time when they tried to cut back on police before for the same reason with the theory that somehow the police were responsible for escalating crime. And Scott and David, our producer, will tell you what they found out about that, what happened when Chicago years ago tried to dial back the police presence. We'll see what happened. Also, they talked to a lot of members of the communities that are impacted and found that while there was a lot of sentiment, different sentiments about what kind of police reforms might be needed, what should be done in these neighborhoods. They did not find anybody who said they thought the police should be defunded. In fact, there were a lot of people in the community who were worried about the notion of defunding the police or having the police not be such a presence in these neighborhoods that are so troubled. So just like we found out when we went to Minnesota not long ago for full measure a couple weeks ago, The community there, likewise, was concerned that they would be left, that they would be the ones in these troubled communities who suffered with any sort of defunding of the police. Maybe it sounds good on paper to some people, but the people who live there and rely on the police to help keep some semblance of order are concerned about it. That's our cover story. We will also have a story Sunday about the general idea of defunding the police And one expert who talks about really police in the United States he sees and makes a pretty good case for it is a success story of policing. If you look at police forces around the world, the United States largely has done most everything right. Not that there aren't mistakes and bad apples and agencies that need looking at. But overall, he argues there is an experiment if you want to call it that, that's happened in the past couple of decades in the U.S. with our police forces that's worked out very well. 
and that we should take lessons from that rather than thinking about dialing back. So you will hear his view. We also, Sunday on Full Measure, have an update on Brexit. Now let's go back a little bit. This story's really fascinated me for quite a while because you remember when Brexit happened, that was the British exit from the European Union a couple of years ago, almost nobody thought the Brits were going to vote to pull away. Almost everybody predicted the opposite. We weren't even hardly paying attention to it in this country because the media had deemed it something so unlikely. I, just like I predicted Trump was going to be elected starting in 2015, I also predicted that the Brits were going to vote to pull away from the EU, not because I know anything about it, but it just so happens I was at a journalism conference in Moscow, and there were a lot of European journalists there discussing it and saying that it was going to happen, the vote to pull away. And I asked them, and these were a lot of business news reporters and economic reporters who seemed to know what they were talking about, and I asked them how they came to that conclusion because the general consensus seemed to be around the world and in the U.S., that the Brits would never vote to pull away from the European Union. And they actually showed me polls. I remember they pulled out their phones and called up polls that weren't being widely reported on, but showed that the bulk of the sentiment was to pull away. Those polls I didn't hear reported at home. In fact, the polls I heard reported said the opposite. Reminds me a lot of the 2016 election here. So sure enough, when that vote happened, everybody seemed very shocked by it. And then... There was this whole idea that, well, and they said this after Trump was elected too, more parallels. It was sort of a mistake. People didn't really know what they were getting into. And if they only had the chance to do it over again, they wouldn't vote to pull away from the European Union because they just didn't really understand what they were voting for. So the vote to pull out of the EU was followed by a lot of obstruction by the establishment politicians who made it very difficult to consummate that deal to pull away. And they even kept pushing for a second vote. And ultimately, about a year ago, they got a sort of second vote, a second referendum. And guess what happened? More people agreed in this basic, what was a referendum on Brexit, more or less, more people wanted to pull away at that time. So again, the whole notion in the media that had built that there was regret, that if only there were a second vote, people wouldn't want to get out false. The media coverage was was not true. So what's happened since then? Well, we went to Great Britain last year and covered a lot of this. If you watch Full Measure, maybe you saw that story last fall. And now they're on the verge. Again, the establishment politicians are making it very difficult to come up with an agreement of how exactly, what are the terms of pulling away? How will trade be dealt with? What payments will be made for Great Britain to get out of the European Union? How will the Irish question be handled because Northern Ireland is in one camp and regular Ireland is in the other camp? What will happen along that border when the EU part of Ireland stays with the EU and the British part of Ireland pulls away? So Sunday on Full Measure, we'll have an update on all of that with a new deadline looming. Right now, Great Britain is officially out of the European Union, but not much has changed because they haven't agreed to the terms of what happens next. And then lastly, our final story this week is on the USS Cole. If you've been around long enough, like I have, you remember the Islamic extremist terrorist attack on the USS Cole. It's been 
20 years, believe it or not. And that sad anniversary in which 17 sailors were killed, were murdered, is coming up. And I got the chance to go aboard the USS Cole, which is still in service. Kind of surprised me. I don't follow the military you know, equipment that we use in the ships and so on that closely. USS Cole is still in service, and I got a chance to visit the ship with the commander and look at the commemoration, the memory that's on board permanently of these soldiers who lost their lives that day. We kind of go over that and pay tribute to them on this sad 20th anniversary of that happening. I hope you will catch Full Measure again Sunday, October 11th. You can see it most places it airs Sunday morning between 9.30 in the morning, maybe 10 o'clock in the morning, depending on where you live. For a list of stations, you can go to fullmeasure.news, click About, and under About, it should have Cities and Times. I also have a list at CherylAckison.com under Full Measure. You can see Lists and Times, and also, if you can't catch it in your city, if you don't live in a place that has it, like Los Angeles or Seattle, or Portland, or Washington, D.C. You can watch it on our app, STIRR, S-T-I-R-R. There's instructions on how to find it there on my website under full measure, CherylAckison.com. But maybe the easiest way to find it is to watch it live at fullmeasure.news Sundays at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time, and replays anytime, including right now. You can go to fullmeasure.news and see the segments that aired on our last program. You will see off-narrative news that's not being covered on the other channels. If, if you sometimes wonder, what are you missing when all they're covering are the same two, three, four political stories that powerful interests have us on point discussing and debating? What other news is happening in the world? You'll see a lot of that on Full Measure, just sort of like I used to report when I was at CBS News and CNN back in the day when news was a little bit more like regular news and not just political propagandists arguing with each other. So hope you'll catch the program this week. Back after a short break with a brief reading from my new upcoming book, Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism. The news as we once knew it no longer exists. It's become a product molded and shaped to suit the narrative. Facts that don't fit are omitted off-narrative people and views are controversialized or neatly deposited down the memory hole. Partisan pundits, analysts, and anonymous sources fill new space, leaving little room for facts. I hope you'll pre-order my new book today, Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism. Do you have something to say and want to make your own podcast? Let me tell you how to do that for free with Anchor. Anchor has creation tools that let you record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. You can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's all you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. We're back, and I'm going to read a brief excerpt from a chapter of my new book, Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism. I think you will find really the whole book so on point with what's happening, the devolution of the news 
and what's happening in the media today. So this is an excerpt from chapter six. I find the news media's transformation of their traditional role when covering Trump to be particularly dangerous to the larger pursuit of facts and to media credibility. Certainly members of the public are free to judge Trump or anyone else however they wish, but we in the press have a different role and responsibility. No matter how we feel about Trump or any other subject of our reporting, we are not entitled to exaggerate about them, publish poorly sourced reporting, or treat them unfairly under the rationale that they somehow deserve it. Trump is the vehicle that the media at large has used to unleash its furor and redefine journalism in a way it was never defined before. This is why the dominant news coverage claimed Trump was colluding with Russia, but that proved to be false. Few reporters cover this crucial story fully and fairly. After all, they reasoned, Trump is a liar, and the allegations against him are too good to pass up or fully vet. If the media wished to label him a Russian spy with no evidence, so be it. Why should he get a fair shake? Once reporters got away with publishing sloppy, slanted, and opinionated journalism against Trump, and no Pulitzers were rescinded, they started taking further journalistic liberties. Pretty soon, the Trump treatment began to bleed over into other aspects of news coverage. It's chipped away at the reputation of the media at large. Alberto Martinez, the liberal University of Texas professor who documents narrative trends, opposed Trump in 2016, but he's objective enough to find fault with what he sees as the media's rampant narratives about Trump, which have in turn eroded public trust in the press. I asked him point blank whether he thinks the media's declining credibility is Trump's fault or their own. He answered by recounting how radically the media's description of Trump changed when he entered the race for president. Martinez tells me, In 2004, a CNN documentary described Trump as beloved, the world's most popular businessman, literally the gold standard, a national phenomenon. Trump has always worked hard and lived clean. The CNN documentary also said, He really is very smart, very sassy, very tough, but a warm and caring guy. Martinez goes on to note that by 2016, however, news pundits portrayed candidate Trump as the epitome of reckless ineptitude, fraud, failure, bankruptcy, bullying, who even mocked the disabled, vulgarity, adultery, homophobia, sexism, blatant racism, xenophobia, Islamophobia, authoritarianism, fascism, criminal sexual aggression, and dangerous warmongering. Martinez goes on to say, this extraordinary transformation happened because pundits constantly chose to interpret Trump's casual, careless words in the most horrifying ways imaginable. Even if two or five or ten of these stories about Trump were true, says Professor Martinez, how could they all be true? He says, I think the media lost much credibility because of its very partisan and relentless penchant to exaggerate and demonize. As the conservative radio host Chris Plant Riley puts it, Trump's enemies take him literally while claiming he can't be taken seriously. Martinez goes on to take apart what he calls a major media narrative about candidate Trump, that he would be dangerous for minorities, especially Hispanics, black people, and Muslims. Countless news stories clanged alarms, says Martinez, on CNN, MSNBC, The New York Times, The Washington Post, etc., if such news were accurate predictors of voters' concerns, it would mean that Trump pandered to white voters, especially those concerned about illegal immigration and especially white supremacists, 
at the expense of offending minorities and losing their votes, says Martinez. He goes on to say, but surprisingly, Trump's actual effect on voters was the very opposite. By comparing him with the previous Republican presidential candidate, Mitt Romney, Martinez says, I found that Trump won more votes from Hispanics, more votes from African-Americans, and more votes from Muslims. Moreover, he says, Trump won fewer votes from white people. Yet nearly all the media obscured this, he says, because it didn't fit the narrative. On CNN, for example, Martinez says, Van Jones exclaimed that Trump's election was a white lash against a black president. In the end, this kind of reporting damages the media's reputation and the public gets the short end of the stick. There's a reason journalism standards exist in the first place, not just to afford fair treatment to people we like. They're supposed to ensure fairness and accuracy when we cover those whom we don't like, don't agree with, or even believe are liars. In fact, that is when our standards matter most. It's a little bit like free speech. Non-objectionable speech seldom needs defending. It's the difficult and controversial speech that demands free speech protections. Trump tested our ability to prove how committed we are to staying true to our mission of journalism. And we failed. Again, that is an excerpt from chapter six of my book, Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism. I hope you'll pre-order it today wherever you like to get your books, and it's going to be to you in time for the holidays if you want to buy this for yourself for the holidays or for someone you know for Christmas who cares about what's happening and what's happened to the media. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and that you share it and leave a great review. You can also check out my other podcast, the Cheryl Atkinson podcast at justthenews.com, but you can find it full measure after hours and the Cheryl Atkinson podcast, wherever you like to listen. And don't forget to pre-order my new book out late November in plenty of time for Christmas for someone you like or to buy it for yourself. It's called Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism. Just search for it under Slanted at Amazon or wherever you like to order books. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself.